Hey, let me pray for us. My name is Aswan, one of the pastors here. Let me pray. <clears throat> Holy Spirit, speak to us this morning, this afternoon. We need you. In Jesus' name, amen. Have you ever <clears throat> heard of the phrase, actions speak louder than words? By a round of applause, let me know if you've heard that phrase before. Perfect. I got you to clap for the message, so that's all I wanted. <laughs> Good. Um, so now I can say, you know, you clap for the message. But I've been thinking, I was thinking about that recently. I'm like, what does it actually mean? What does it, what does actions speak louder than words really mean? So I started poking around on the internet. Does anybody have the like squirrel type attention span like me? Like you think of a thought, then you think of a thought, then you think of a thought. Anybody? Yeah. Round of applause if you. Okay. You see what I'm doing? I got you. I got you. Thanks, Shawana. You're engaged. I, I did some research. Actions speak louder than words is a saying that emphasizes what you do is more important and shows your intentions and feelings more clearly than what you say. Action speaks louder than words is an American proverb or an idiom, whatever you want to call it, that emphasizes what you do is more important and shows your intentions and feelings more clearly than what you say. And I'm like, yo, that's profound. I get it. That's why when I tell my wife I love her, but I don't show her that, she gets tight at me. My intentions and my, and, and my feelings are more clearly expressed. I'm like, yo, this is profound. More clearly expressed through my actions than my words. And someone who likes to use a lot of words, this is revelatory. <laughs> then I thought about the, the phrase, practice what you preach. Has anybody heard that phrase? Round of applause. Yes. Thank you, Micah. Y'all getting this. Y'all getting this. And I'm like, yo, is practice what you preach like the Christian way of saying the same thing? You know what I mean? But I, I, I did some research, right? Practice what you preach is a phrase that emphasizes and means this, to do the things that you advise others to do. Do the things that you advise others to do, right? And so, so for the, the women out there who are like, girl, you don't need him. He's bad news. He don't. He don't. He don't. He don't. Right? Right? And then you in a situation like, no, he do. He do. He's good enough. Like, you just hating. Listen, we have to practice what we preach. Actions speak louder than words. This is a real phraseology. And, and for me, I'm like, yo, this is real. And I started looking and doing a little introspection with all that's happening in the world today. Everything that's happening in life, in our community, in the world abroad. I'm like, yo, there's a lot I can't control. But, right? Y'all agree? There are a lot of things happening that we can't control. But there are things that I can control. And so, am I practicing what I preach? Do my actions speak louder than my words? Well, the statement is that your actions do speak louder than your words. So what are my actions actually saying? What's the volume on my actions? Or are my words just louder than everything I do? And I, I found myself kind of uh, 
asking myself these questions and and I don't know, it, you know, those of you who are with us in person or online, and maybe you don't follow Jesus, maybe you're back at church for the first time, but this is how God works with me. I was thinking about it, and then he starts showing me things. I'm like, dang. So he shows me this moment where in my house, there is no, we don't have our shoes on. We, there's a take off your shoe policy at my house. Amen. All right. All right. Round of applause. I see you, bra. Bra from the shy. Um, so I really get angry when my kids or my wife, she's the main culprit, by the way. She be, she's so situational. She's like, I'm just gonna, I'm, I'm like, yo, yo, stop doing that. And then when the boys see you, you know what I'm saying? Now they're like, daddy, I'm just gonna, like, yo. But I found myself in this situation where I was running late for work and I forgot something. And so I ran back upstairs. I had my shoes on right? Now nobody's home. I was like, oh, I got to practice what I preach though. Ah, All right. I just, I ran and I got it, right? So I'm not talking to you. I'm talking with you. Practicing what you preach ain't easy. I'm not here standing up saying, man, my life is all together and, and you're the ones wrestling with practicing what you preach. But even more, a little, a little more serious than honoring the rules of my household, I thought about, like, I'm in ministry full-time, and there, I've been in ministry full-time for almost 17 years now. It's kind of crazy. And I, I'm not 17, by the way. And, and as people, have I, as I've trained and, and talked to people in ministry, I've encouraged this. Yo, be, be a person of rest. Stop. Rest, don't get caught up in the haste. Like, God is God. You are not. And I've encouraged that. I've preached that. And then I've evaluated my practices, and I probably don't rest the way I should. I don't rest the way I have advised people to rest. Are your words and your actions lining up? Do you practice what you preach? Are your actions speaking louder than your words. So I ask you, Renaissance, what kind of church do you want to be? What kind of church are you? Are you the type of church that is known for cool retweets and social media posts? Or are we known for our actions? I got to be honest, I'm disappointed. We had it uh, two weeks ago now, I think, right? We had a Uh, Our ride out against gun violence, Pastor Brandon led us, suited up, megaphone, bike, and it was like 20 of us, maybe 25. I dream of the day that a church this size, it would have been 300 of us. It would have been 400 of us saying, wheels up, guns down. Because we cared that much, that we don't want to just tweet about the young woman who lost her life, a, a, a mom pushing her baby, shot in the head, 95th Street, that we wouldn't just retweet about how sad we are, but that we would move into the community and really try to make something happen because it's the kind of church we want to be known for our actions, 
and not just our words. And so if you've been rocking with us, I'm going to challenge us today. And I'm not challenging us based on Aswan's opinion. I'm going to challenge us from what the Bible says. James, and if you've been with us, if you've rocking with us the last couple weeks, uh, we've been doing a study on James, the book of James. And James, the author of this letter, is <clears throat> he was an elder and one of the leaders in the church in Jerusalem. And the church in Jerusalem was um, um, like one of the, the, the pillars of how churches in the Christian faith grew in the ancient days. And James was known as a man of wisdom. Uh, and when he writes his letter, he's writing his letter to the Christians who now, because of the times, they've been scattered all over. And he's writing them a letter so that they would be encouraged to be the people of God. That despite their situation and circumstance, they would live out the teachings of Jesus. James, his, the two major influences of, uh, for him as he was writing this letter was Jesus' Sermon on the Mount. And we studied the Beatitudes where Jesus gives these radical paradigms and he's helping his disciples know what it means to be a true follower of Jesus. Uh, his other uh, influence is Proverbs. And Proverbs is filled with wisdom. Wisdom, and wisdom is not just knowing a lot. Wisdom is the application of knowledge. And James, in his letter, he's saying to the people of God then and to Renaissance Church now, I'm writing so that you could show up and be the people of God in your community. And James says this in James 1, he says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. And I think James has a lot to say to us this morning, a lot to say to me this morning, because we in this together. You smell me? But we know practicing what you preach ain't easy, right? We know it's not just that simple. Like, come on, preacher man, don't just tell me to do what Jesus, you don't know my situation. You don't know how I grew up. You don't know what they've done to me. And it, it is difficult. But I think James has a lot to say to us. But here's one of the reasons I think it is difficult. Or let me say it this way, why we struggle with it. <laughs> because it's easier to just talk about stuff. Can we be honest? It is, yo, hashtags are easy now. Retweets and posting is easy now. And, it, and when you do that consistently, you're like, oh, I'm about that life. Tweet. I'm about that life, social media. It's easy to just talk about stuff. And at the same time, the same, uh, the, it's two sides of the same coin. It's also, uh, it also makes you feel good. Like, can we be honest in here? The praises of other people can be intoxicating. Oh, what you said, yo, that sweet was so powerful. It moved me. Thank you for saying that. <laughs> I'm moved. I'm inspired. And it's intoxicating. You get a couple of those. You get some, some comments, some tweets. Like, you like, yeah, I'm killing it. <laughs> it makes me feel good. And the, I mean, there's real science to that, right? The, 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 the dopamine, right? I'm not, we're not going to get scientific, but it's, it's happening <laughs> in your brain. Like, it really feeds your brain. It feels, it makes you feel good. 
But then I think we wrestle with it because, let's be honest, the things that we see, whether you are following Jesus or not, the things in Scripture that you see are difficult. Bless those who hate me? Pray for my enemy? Nah, son. Nah. It's difficult. It, if you were to actually practice what you preach in those situations, if that's what you're preaching, then you would have to make some radical life changes. And that's difficult. It is not easy to just change your life. Let's look at, look at organizations now that we've gone, we're in a pandemic and growing through a pandemic. Organizations are trying to pivot. They're trying to make change. They're trying to figure out not only their corporate culture, but what the marketplace is doing. And it's difficult to make these changes. Well, it's the same if you are trying to follow Jesus. Trust me. Jesus says, give give me all your burdens and cares. Well, I can't do that because I don't see you, and when I do it, nothing happens. I still got these burdens and cares. We talking facts? Here's another reason why I think it's difficult. We're just inconsistent. We're just inconsistent people. See, we generally live segmented lives. We're too situational. For, for me, you know, I, I wasn't as mad at myself as I would have been if I saw my kids sneak in the room with their sneakers on. I wasn't, mad, I wasn't as mad as me. Why not? Why didn't I black on myself? Right? I'm so inconsistent. I'm so situational. Back in the day, I used to call that we, people have situational ethics. Based on the situation is when you want to go hard. Like, I, I don't condone violence, but nah, snuff him. Nah, that wasn't right. He shouldn't have did it. We situational. We're so inconsistent, and that's a disconnect between practicing what you preach. We lack accountability. I think this is so true. We lack accountability. Guess what? When I was in, I I really had this moment, so I'm I'm expressing this with you. I hope you guys are enjoying this with me. But I, I was really in the doorway thinking like, yo, if AJ saw me, He would be tight, like, oh, daddy, all the times you yelled at me for having my sneakers on, look at you. But there was nobody home. I ain't have real accountability. The only way he's going to know now is if he watches service. We don't live, some of us, even when I say the word accountability, you're like, I don't need people in my business. But if you want to be a person who practices what you preach, you need accountability. You need somebody to say, ah, 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 remember what you said? Remember your values and your beliefs? We lack accountability. And as a result of lacking accountability, I think these two things are true. We lack integrity. As a result of no accountability, it becomes okay to not practice what you preach. It actually becomes okay for you to stop preaching because we lack accountability and therefore we lack integrity. And lastly, we lack knowledge. We actually, what I mean by that, I want to be very clear. We lack knowledge that we are not meeting the mark. We lack knowledge in the fact that we start thinking that we are actually crushing it when we're not. You start to believe, oh, that hashtag was fire. 
I really am living this thing out. And you know what the Word of God is so good at? Helping us see ourselves. And that's why I love James. That's why I love this book. I love this chapter. I love this scripture. Because James is going to hold a mirror to us. He, he is going to help us understand not only the difficulties, but push us towards being people. He's exhorting us to be people who practice what we preach. See, I think James is going to encourage us today because of this truth. God's people shouldn't be characterized by inconsistencies. Rather, we should be known for our actions. Do you practice what you preach? And here's another truth I know. So much of our Christianity here in America is rooted in this paradigm. If I believe right, then I am doing enough. Believing right is not enough. People don't know, I love this phrase. It's helped me tremendously in ministry. People don't really care how much you know until they know how much you care. And that's only going to happen with action. Let's read James, James 1, 22 to 27. But be doers of the word and not hearers only, James says, deceiving yourselves. Because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. But the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and, deser- and preserves it and pers- yeah, uh, perseveres in it and is not a forgetful hearer but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. If anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself or she deceives himself. Pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this, colon, to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. I want to walk through this slowly. And the first nugget I think James gives us is this. Self-deception is the worst deception. Self-deception is the worst deception. James says, but be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. Who do you deceive when you are a hearer of God's word only and not a doer? Yourself. You deceiving yourself is the worst deception we could be engaged in. What James is talking about here is super powerful. Just coming to church is not enough. Just memorizing scripture is not enough. Just being theologically sound to all my nerds in the room and online, just being theologically sound is not enough. Yo, winning a theological argument when people are hurting means nothing, church. You're not dope because you won a theological argument. 
if the people around you are like, yo, I don't see nothing of what you believe in your life. Being a Christian consumer is not enough. You have to actually live out the things you read and you hear in Scripture. When the Bible says forgive 70 times 7, do the math. Do it. That's what James is exhorting us in. When it says forgive, it doesn't say forgive because of a certain situation. It doesn't say forgive because, oh, that's not as bad as that. It says when someone offends you, when, when you get sinned against because you will, it says forgive. How many times? 70 times 7. You count. You do the math. If Jesus teaches live life with the poor, hang with people on the margins, which he modeled in the Bible, do it. I love when it's quiet. It's what the Bible is. It's not, this is not just me. I, I read this and I, I, I feel the same dissonance. I feel the same challenge in my life. I, I, I was in a situation where I had to take in a young man who just came out of prison. God was saying, do it. This is what I do. You were, you were bound to sin. I've freed you from that. Yo, do it. I had to do it. It was hard. I already got four kids. I don't need more. Do it. Why? Why should we do it? James is saying, because if you don't practice what you preach, if you are a follower of Jesus and you don't live out the things, the tenets of the Christian faith, then James is actually saying, you know what you're doing? You're deceiving yourself. You are engaging in a consistent process of deception. And you're hurting you. Is this the type of faith you want? Renaissance, is this the type of church we want to be known for? Or do we want to practice what we advise people to believe? Now, in verse 23 to 24, James gives an analogy. And I love analogies that are so simple and so, like, extreme, like they make the point. And I think James does a good job with that in verse 23. He says, because if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he is like someone looking at his own face in a mirror. For he looks at himself, goes away, and immediately forgets what kind of person he was. And I'm like, wow. What is James saying here? James is saying, okay, it's kind of absurd. Think about it. If someone stands in front of a mirror and they look at themselves and then they turn around and you ask them, hey, what do you have on, for example, and they like forget you would, you would think they were joking. It would be so unfathomable for you to grasp that someone is staring in front of a, a full-length mirror from Ikea, $23.99. <laughs> and when they see themselves, you ask them some questions and they can't answer you. It's absurd. And what James is saying in the same way that that situation is absurd, it is just as ludicrous for a Christian to hear God's word and not do it. 
It is just as insane as somebody looking in the mirror and forgetting themselves. James is doing an excellent job, in my opinion, in writing a challenging letter to the Christians then and to the Christians here in the room and online. And he's saying, if you aren't practicing what you're preaching, you are deceiving yourselves. And it's absurd to think that you're a follower of Jesus. I knew that was going to happen, Brandon. And I'm challenged. I hope you're challenged. And I I hope you smell and see the grace in this text. But James is saying there are people who are hurting, who don't believe, who are dying, who don't know a God. And he's saying when you live it out, it gives people hope. It, It shows people that, yo, actually, maybe it could be real if I trust God. I don't have anybody trust. I don't know who to trust. But maybe when the Bible says, come, all who are heavy laden and burdened, and I will give you rest, maybe I can trust in that because I've watched the Christians who claim they are following Jesus who have burdens also, and they are doing it. And wow, they're doing it, man. What's different than them than me? I mean, we got on the same New Balance. James is encouraging us to be people who practice what we preach. Second point, and I love this, blessings follow obedience. Listen to what James says, but the one who looks intently into the perfect law of freedom and perseveres in it and is not a forgetful hearer, but a doer who works, this person will be blessed in what he does. And first, I want you to see here what what James is saying is he's not saying throw the baby out with the bathwater. For all my people who go on extremes and be like, I bet, so I'm never reading the Bible again. I'm going to just go out and do my thing. That's not what James is saying. James is saying, actually, those who pour over, in other translation, it says observe. And the word observe in the original language means to stoop over, to look at, to glare, to intensely pay attention to. Those who are intentionally, intentionally and intently paying attention to the word of God, that's a good thing. Do it. Memorize scripture. Have Bible study. Get your theology in order. And your, for those who, my nerds out here, who get your doctrine straight. You should work diligently towards that. But what James is saying, if you stop there, you're deceiving yourself. If you leave it there, it's incomplete. It's not finished. I remember this school year, I was asking my son AJ, I'm like, um, you know, some, you got to turn in, you know, the classroom on, on, on Google. He has to turn in his work. I'm like, is your work finished? He's like, yeah, that is finished. I'm like, all right, cool. My son, he's killing it. He's doing his thing. He's like, can I play some video games? Yeah, cool, 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 cool. I'm like, yo, but is your work finished? Yeah, 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 yeah. I just have to turn it in. I'm like, bro, it's not, it's not done then. You didn't turn it in. <laughs> Nobody's going to care that you did it until you turn it in to the church. Are we turning in our work? Are we? Are you? Am I? Are we practicing what we preach or am I just talking a lot or am I just out here, man, right? It's frustrating. 
And I know it's not easy, but I wonder what would be said about Renaissance Church when everyone in here, every member is practicing what we preach. What would our neighbors say across the street when we have church and chill? They're like, yo, those are my people. I'm coming across the street. That's the church that practices what they preach. Or did you just hear us shouting on Sunday? I also think what James is saying in verse 23 to 25, I think he's saying this. Obedience is an evidence of love. I think he's also saying blessings following obedience is not a concept that I want you to think is is just isolated to right now. God's people, the people of Israel, were were given promises. And the the benefits and the blessings of those promises didn't happen until they obeyed. Obedience, blessings do follow obedience when you you do it. But James is doing something a little different here. He, He isn't just encouraging this just random blind obedience. He's saying you obey because you love him. Listen to what Jesus says in John 14. He says, the one who has my commands and keeps them. Simultaneous. And. It's a, uh, what's and? It's a conjunction. Right? You see me out here, son? Yo. Thank you. Thank you. You see me out here? The one who has my commands and keeps them. These are not isolated concepts. Is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my father. I also will love him and will reveal myself to him. Now, here's what I think John, uh, James has for us. His encouragement for us in this reality that blessings follow obedience is to trust in the character and the nature of God. And let me explain what I mean. For some of us, or for some of you, You're like, yo, Aswan, listen, I hear you, but I have obeyed. I have been doing things, and when I do it, when I pray, nothing happens. When I step into situations and I I really believe I'm following God's uh, call or or, or what God has asked me to do, I really believe I'm living out the teachings of God, but when I do that, the situation got worse. How do you expect me to keep obeying when the situation got worse? There must be something wrong with what God is asking me to do. What James is saying is, no, that's not the right way to think about it. He's saying cling and grab hold of his character and nature. Hold on to him. I can picture in my mind uh, the times when I'm playing around and wrestling with the boys and Axel being six, he grabs onto my leg and he won't let go because he's like, no, I'm going to take daddy down. And I'm like, all right, Axel. And he's dragging on my leg. I'm like, all right, boy. Man. Yeah, you got me. Daddy's going down. Daddy's going down. And I'm, but Axel's clinging to my leg. I wonder, as Christians, do we cling to the character and nature of God despite what we see? That's what faith is calling you to do, to have tentacles that wrap around the character and the nature of God so that when you are in a situation and you don't see what you think you're supposed to see, you obey just because of who he is. Because he's God. He's a loving God, a caring God, a God of compassion. But if you don't believe that, you won't cling to his character and his nature. 
Please don't get weary in well-doing. Continue to obey because blessings do come. Blessings do follow obedience. Does follow obedience. Now, what I love about this passage is that James doesn't just leave us with some paradigm to change. James actually gives us some concrete things to, step, to, to, to leave this message with. He says this in verse 26, if anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. Here's the first thing I want you to take away, use this message. I want you to think about how you're talking to people. James says, if anyone thinks he is religious without controlling his tongue, his religion is useless and he deceives himself. How are you talking to people? Not just what are you saying, how are you saying it? I want you to leave this week and think about, man, the people that you claim to like and love, when you're in a bad emotional state or maybe you're having a rough day, how do you speak to them? Do you justify how you speak to them by, yo, I just wasn't feeling good. You was getting on my nerves. Is that okay? Is that what the scriptures preach for us to do? And in James 3, James is going to talk a lot more about taming the tongue. But right here, right now, I want you this week, I want you to think about how you speak. Proverbs says it like this, life and death is in the power of the tongue. What are, you, what, what, what are your words? What choice of words are you using? Why? What's the motivation of your heart when you say it? Oh, you're just trying to be truthful, right? No, you were trying to hurt their feelings and you were being passive aggressive. Can, can we talk like that? I do it all the time, so I'm guilty as charged. Secondly, pure and undefiled religion before God the Father is this to look after orphans and widows in their distress and to keep oneself unstained from the world. Who, when James says this, he's talking about the vulnerable people of his day. He's talking about the marginalized of his day. Well, who are, the, who are those people for you? Who are the people on the margins? Who are the vulnerable people of, today, of, of society? And here's the question. Are you with them in your distress or are you just talking about their distress? Are you with them? Have you moved into situations? For some of you, maybe it's foster care. And I know that we have people that go to this church who, who have done that, who have engaged in that process. And maybe someone, maybe there's a, there's a conviction to say you have the resources, you have the time. Why not? Have you considered it? Be a father to the fatherless. Do you know how many fatherless young men are running around the community? When I started my work with young people, the first time a young dude called me pops, I was floored. I'm like, bro, I'm 19. I can't really help you other than I have a car. But the desire, the hurt, the need for someone to be fatherly, do it. Don't just talk that it's real and it's happening in our community. Do it. Be the mother to the, to the young women who aren't being mothered. Because moms say, I can't do it anymore. And I know it's tough. 
I know it's hard and I know it ain't easy. But James is saying that pure and undefiled religion before God is to be in the distress with the vulnerable. We have to get closer. And so once we determine the areas we should engage in, we have to get close to the problems that we care about. And so as I close, social media serves a lot of good, but one of the greatest problems that social media presents is that it can allow you to have the appearance of activity while doing absolutely nothing. There's a lot of people on social media and they are, would claim to be people who are activists and who are out there doing it. But if they just get a couple retweets and a couple likes, but their money or their time doesn't reflect what they believe, then they're just armchair activists. They're just people who talk a lot, who don't practice what they preach. My prayer is that it's not the same for Renaissance Church. And here's a nugget. Jesus' harshest words were reserved for the elite, for those who thought they had it all together. James is saying, go be people who do. Don't just hear God's word and sit on it. Go do. Let that be your motivation. Here's what I love. There's a Peruvian philosopher uh, named Gustavo Gutierrez, and he says it like this. We've used this quote before. It says, you say you care about the poor, then tell me, what are their names? Who are these mystical people that you care so much about? You care about recidivism and the penal system? Great. Name the people that you're talking about. If you can't answer that question, giving an area you're concerned with, with actual people, then you're not close enough. And what I love about the gospel is that God is not a God who attempted to save us from far away. He didn't just send a tweet from eternity and say, yo, I want to save everybody. He took on human nature. He stepped into human history. He died on a cross as an innocent man, rose on the third day with all power in his hands and said, I'm coming back to wrap this all up. But until then, I need you to go be people who do. He fills us with the Holy Spirit so he doesn't ask you to just do on your own because it's painful. It's hard. We don't have enough resources. We don't have enough time. Sometimes we don't have the emotional capital. Amen? We don't. But the Holy Spirit meets us. You never had it. You don't have enough spiritual bucks to close the gap between you and God. So God did that. Why would he not give you enough boldness and strength to step into the world and live out what he's called you to do? The Holy Spirit will be with you and will encourage you and give you boldness. And then you know what's crazy? You're going to be walking, doing. You're going to be living faith in action, living faith in action. You're going to look back and you're going to be like, wow, I did that? That's my life? That's what's in between on my tombstone between the day I was born and the day I die? You know what that in between is going to be? It's going to be all those people? Wow. That's a life worth living right now. You don't have to wait for God to come back for that to be true. That could be true right now. You just got to walk and do. 
Trust in him. Walk and do. Trust in him. Walk and do. And it's never going to be easy. It's never not going to be painful. But I promise you, blessings follow obedience. And the greatest gift that God has given us is himself. He's not going to ask you to do it alone. He's going to do it with you. And I want to close with this. Uh, a friend of mine, I was talking to a good friend of mine yesterday about this, and, and, and he, he was very vulnerable. And I watched his eyes teared up, and he was like, Aswan, I hear you, preacher man. He was calling me preacher man. I, I, he, I love this. This was so good. He's like, I hear you. I hear what your sermon's about. But it's pain. It's hard. And he starts tearing. He's like, why would I care for somebody who, in return, they're never going to care for me back? I already have enough on my plate to care for. I have kids. I have a wife. I have a family. I have a business. I have enough to care for. Why would I go out and do something uncomfortable? I don't want it. I don't want to do it. And you're telling me, and James is telling me, <laughs> good for James, James is telling me to go out and be this person, and that's cool, but I don't want it. And I know many of us, without round of applause, you could probably identify with that reality. And then I thought of this Tasha Cobb song. And man, y'all lucky I can't sing. Because <laughs> I'll, bring, I'll bring this drink all the way home, son. <laughs> but I'm not going to do it. Don't tempt me. Yeah, look at Jess. Look at Jess. All of the front row is like, Listen, Tasha Cobb says this, and you know my name. It's a song called You Know My Name. She says, no fire can burn me. No battle can turn me. No mountain can stop me. Why? Because, that's the ad lib. Why? Because because you hold my hand. I'm walking in your victory, not victory, in your victory. That's like a real victory. Because your power is within me. No giant can defeat me because you know my name. God never leaves us as orphans. God never leaves us as widows. He's coming and has come to us. And he says, when you go to others, I am with you. When two or three are gathered, I am in the midst. Renaissance, she closes that segment of her bridge. She says, so I won't be afraid. No, I won't be afraid. No, because you hold my hand. The God of the universe that calls you into the life of others will hold your hand as you walk into their life, not knowing exactly what to do, but being so close that he could impact them through you because you are so close to the situation. Let me pray. God, thank you for helping us be doers of the word and not hearers only. In Jesus' name, amen.